All right. Happy Friday, everybody. I don't know if I'm ever going to stop dancing backstage during that intro song, so I don't know. Probably not. I, it's very catchy. Anyway, welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are continually exploring the landscape of learning technology while cutting through the fluff and getting the questions answered you need answered. So today, I am joined by Noah Zandon, and uh, we're going to be talking about the quantifiable nature of power skills or soft skills or human skills, specifically communication. We'll see where this goes, but I am really excited about this conversation. It's one that I tend to get a little fired up about. So I think we're going to have some fun along the way. But before we get into it, we got we got to warm things up here a little bit. So for those of you who are just joining, feel free to comment in and share where you are. Noah, why don't you start? Let us know where you are today. I'm, I'm calling in from Austin, Texas. Calling in from Austin, Texas. All right, and we talked about this snow. You have you have snow in te- which I actually was surprised by that. Is it already gone though, or will it stick around for a bit? It's going to be sixty-eight degrees today here. So you know what? Uh, this this conversation is over. <laughs> you know, uh, my wife is from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, and what they say in Texas is, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Okay. All right. So snow, 70 degrees and sunny. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you, you've got a better day ahead of you for being outside than I do. All right. Uh, I'm in Waukesha, Wisconsin, as always, sporting my Wisconsin tea or sweatshirt, whatever it is. So before we get into the conversation about this, though, let's do, I've got the icebreaker question. Everybody who's watching, feel free to play along. I'm, I'm always curious in people's answers because they're always kind of fun. So you can start with this one, Noah. But what is your most used emoji and why? So, you know, like like everybody, Christopher, I, I think I have intention versus reality. Okay. Uh, so my, my, my reality is... The one you think you use, but if you actually looked at it, it'd be a little bit different. Probably like a thumbs up or a smiley face, right? It's probably pretty boring. Uh, you know, we use Slack, and so there's a lot of times that it's, you know, either a, a fist pump or a thumbs up. Uh, I will say I have a, I have a, my son turns four next week and he okay. is like obsessed with dinosaurs, right? So uh, if he ever gets a hold of my phone, what he will do is just find the dinosaur emoji and just hit it over and over again. So um, there are a lot of dinosaur emojis. That, that there's a, actually a really nice green T-Rex uh, dinosaur emoji. Okay. And uh, that one's used pretty frequently on my uh, so if the AI was looking at your pattern of behavior, it would say the dinosaur, but it'd be a little bit of a misrepresentation because it's not necessarily that you're sending out T-Rex to everybody going, hey, happy Friday, rar type yeah. stuff. It's just more your kit. Okay. Yeah, he loves it. He loves it. Okay. All right. So for mine, I actually, you know, I get the benefit of having a little time to prepare and think about this. <laughs> so, so I put some thought into it. Now, I did actually look back in my text messages. I use the laugh so hard that you're crying a little bit, but I use both of them, the sideways one and the straight one. And some of it is because I I do tend to laugh a lot. So it's actually appropriate because I do use that a lot and things make me laugh. But then I was actually looking at it and I've noticed that I also have a habit of using the emoji with the, you know, buggy eyes, like (gasps) gasp. And then also the... You know, kind of like, oh, did that just happen? And I feel like maybe 2020 and early 2021, there's just there's a reason that I'm using those maybe a little bit more frequently. I'm still using the laughy face a lot, but yes, yeah. okay. Well, here, here's a here's something that might be interesting. Uh, how long until our emojis are actually auto-generated by our emotions? Oh, right? 
There so you I, go. The phone is watching us. It knows our emotional reaction. So how long until it starts, you know, it's suggesting words when you text, right? How long until it suggests an emoji? Suggesting emojis. All right. All right. Well, there's your, there's your prediction. There's your prediction. Let's write it down. We said this on January 15th. We'll see when that starts happening, when it just says, did you mean... <laughs> You know, okay, all right, all right. Okay, so let's, before we end up talking about emojis the whole time, let's let's shift gears over to quantified communications and really what we're talking about is, you know, how technology is transforming this space. But before we get into that, a little bit of background into it. So you're the CEO of the company. Did you know, did you grow up and as a kid say, you know what, I want to run a quantifiable behavior change company that uses AI to measure behaviors. Is that is that what you did or how on earth did you get there? I think if I knew about AI when I was that young, I would have been, you know, well, well ahead of the curve. Um, but uh, I would have been doing this call from my private island. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I will say I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a chip off the old block. My uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. Okay. Uh, he started a business in our living room that he took public. And so I saw him, you know, it was a it was a tech market research firm. Uh, that I saw him, you know, build into, you know, an incredible company and sort of, you know, build the organization like a family. My mom's a teacher. So, uh, you know, if you think about what I decided to do is I, I took what I learned from both of them. My sister's a psychologist, psychotherapist. So it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not too different uh, than sort of the background I was brought up with, but, you know, certainly didn't have a concept for uh, what this was until, you know, well into my career, actually seeing the problem when I, in my own skill development. Okay. Okay. So it started... Dad was on the tech side. Mom was a teacher. He said, hey, you know what? I got an idea. Maybe I can combine these two things together. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm real creative. Thanks. <laughs> I like that. Okay. But so, so let's talk about what quantified communications is. Let's just define this a little bit for people so that they understand. Because if you go to the website, you can kind of get a general sense for it, right? The, the science behind turning potential into performance, but what does that actually mean? Because that might help people understand where this conversation is going. Yeah. So how do you describe it to people when you go, hi, I'm the CEO of this company and this is what we do. Yeah. So we, we figured out the behavioral science of what makes someone extraordinary when they speak. Okay. Right. We've, we've studied that for nine years now for literally hundreds of thousands of people. And that's what we unlock for people. We, we take, we help people become extraordinary in the way that they communicate mostly in professional environments. And we have a software platform, we call it a communication performance platform to help people achieve that outcome. Okay, so you've actually broken down, you've actually broken down the communication because that was one of the things we were talking about backstage before we went live is a lot of times you just hear communication and it's taken at its surface level as just this universal thing, but it's actually a pretty complicated skill, yes? It is super complicated and there's interpersonal and intrapersonal and public and mass and digital and social. And, you know, there's all these different components to it, not to mention demographics and audience expectations. So it is not a simple answer. Uh, but, you know, there, there are patterns of success. And you ask anybody, you know, was that person effective in your conversation or is that CEO a great communicator? They can tell you yes or no. Right. It's something intuitively we know. But then you ask them why. They probably have a high level why, but you ask them really why, and that's where it breaks down. Okay. So then what problem, because I agree, I, I think this is a really important piece. And in a lot of conversations I have, this is one of the things that communication is a critical one. I see this 
I see opportunity to do this in a lot of different areas. You hear other skills, you know, adaptability. Yep. You're like, okay, but what does that really mean? What does someone who's adaptable look like? And I think communication is is a big one. So what problem did you see in the market necessarily where you said, I, I think we can do a better job. I think we can fix this. What what kind of started that for you? You know, it was a, it was a personal problem, right? I mean, I, I, I studied econometrics. I, I started my career on Wall Street. And, you know, Wall Street at the time, they were spending, you know, an enormous amount of money to train young folks like me, like young quads that, you know, have, could have a very high impact on the success of the firm. They spent a lot of money in our two-month, three-month, kind of before we got on the desk training program. Okay. Uh, it was all how to use spreadsheets, right? It was all financial models and the stuff I was going to need to be an individual contributor. And I want to be a leader, right? I wanted to lead a company. I wanted to lead or at least become the leader of the firm that I was working at. And I saw the skills that the people had with the, which the, with the much nicer offices than my little cube. And <laughs> they weren't teaching me that. And I, I got really worried about it because I said, okay, great. I'm going to learn everything I can about Excel and, you know, leverage buyout modeling. But if I don't learn those leadership skills, how am I going to learn those leadership skills? And I got really worried about it because okay. and I, I I didn't want to be living the rest of my life in an Excel spreadsheet. Okay. Interesting. And so communication was really where you ended up honing it, which to me is an important one because a lot of times you can, you can know everything. You can, you can have all the knowledge, you can, but if you don't know how to articulate that, if you don't know how to inspire or communicate that to other people, it's really not doing a whole lot for you. <laughs> Yeah. So then what does it, let's, let's talk a little bit more into, give a high level overview of how this works. Cause it is obviously at the time you were getting trained on communication skills, or you're getting some training on, which is probably what many people in the L and D industry are familiar with that. We, we get the requests. Somebody says, you know what we need, we need some communications training. And so we go yeah. out, we find something and we say, Hey, here's, here's something we scan it looks in general like it hits on some of the bigger things and and then let's do it but that is not that is not how you're approaching this no no I, I you know I I'm a quantitative person right so everything in my background says data and you know measurement and you know my my father who's the co-founder of the business is, a, is an evaluation research PhD so just assume that that is my lens and my bias to everything that I look at and so, so you're I, I look saying that there wasn't enough data in that for you not, not nearly right so you know, but literally, I, I have this problem for myself i'm sitting in graduate school in chicago and you know i said okay i have to learn how to be a better communicator right i've, I've just okay. never i've had these amazing finance jobs but no one has ever taught me this stuff i'm supposed to just pick it up naturally and i'm worried i might not so what am i going to do so i just get on google and i you know google communications coach and you know there you have no idea if someone's good or bad right i mean you know i'm I'm lucky to be in these incredible financial training programs where, you know, these these folks and these vendors have been handpicked because of their quality and their proof yeah. point. And communication just felt really, really soft, right? And, you know, the top person that I found was, you know, a voice coach who looked like they just, they had some opinions to share, but there wasn't a lot of research or science or proof. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then even then I looked at the price and it was nuts how much these people were charging to do you know, one day viable enough for you based on what you were finding. It didn't have evidence, right? Yeah. And it didn't, it wasn't really research backed. And it also like, it, it had no elements of technology or kind of future looking, right? It was, uh, it was pretty dated. Okay. 
All right. So you set out on a quest to change it. You set out on a quest to change it. So then how how is it doing this? Because I've seen, and I think many people in our industry have seen this, uh, seen different takes on how to improve communication skills. It's, yeah. you know, let's, let's get a video. Let's do something like that. Let's, I, I'm seeing it continue to evolve. I'm really excited about where NLP has come just because of the fact it can do so much more. But what actually, what talk, walk through a workflow, somebody that's then using the platform says, I'm looking to improve my communication skills. How does this thing work? Yeah. So let's, I mean, let's at least start with where we agree, right? So yeah. when, when I talk to, to learning leaders and talent development folks, everyone agrees that communication is a core competency, right? Yeah. It is important for our work. I mean, we, we measure it. So it's 80% of your time at work is spent communicating in some form or fashion, whether it's, you know, email or phone calls or Slack or Zoom meetings or traditional in-person communication. Yeah, I would so, say that's not really a big, uh, highly debated thing. Yeah, so we do it a lot, right? And we generally know what good looks like. So the solutions in place are, if you're at a certain level of your organization, and typically that's VP or above, they're gonna hire you a coach, right? And you know they, they'll put a coach in a room with you and the coach will watch you and say, here's what you're doing well and here's how you can get better. And you know some coaches, we've met some of the best coaches in the world. We've had the pleasure of working with you know, the TED speaking coaches and folks like that, and they're remarkable, uh, they're hard to find. And there's not that many of them and the ones that are out there are really busy. So if you're not at that level, the, the solution beyond that is uh, most likely workshops, right? Where they, where they put you in a room, you know, 20 to 100 people, and you've got a workshop facilitator who's talking to you about, you know, here's the art of influence and here's how to be more persuasive and here's how to have a difficult conversation What's, what's good about that is it's generally good guidance. The struggle that we saw is we all have different problems. Communication is a very, very human behavior. And my yeah. strengths and my gaps are going to be really different based upon my background, my upbringing, where I'm from, my demographics. And so it's not personalized development. It's generalized development. You know, the, the other solution yeah. is to ask someone to read a book, but I, I kind of won't go into the effectiveness of that. So... <laughs> We'll save that conversation. <laughs> so the the core challenge that we see is awareness, right? Okay. It, it's one of these things where, you know, people aren't generally aware of what they're good at and what where they need to improve. It's a hard thing to say, hey, tell me how tell me how I come across. Uh, and so what what we've created is a platform to do both assessment and development of people's communication skills using a ton of behavioral science, making it really easy for people to share content with us and then trying to give them simple feedback and coaching so they can get better. And then to reinforce that development through an ongoing spaced repetition guidance. Okay, got it. So I have to ask then for users, cause this is like you said, the, the biggest piece, and I think this is just true of change management in general, is if you don't know there's a gap or you don't know there's a problem, it's really hard to even yeah. wanna fix anything because you don't see it. So I'm curious, you know, people who engage with this or just in general on a communications, I'm sure you have the data to back this. What do you find that, you know, do people have, are people relatively aware of their gaps or for the most part, do you have people that just go, I, I think I'm great at this and holy moly, I didn't realize the complexity behind this and I didn't know that these were opportunities for me. So, so communication is kind of like driving. If you go ask people, are you a better than average driver? <laughs> What percentage of America says yes? <laughs> Probably a lot, <laughs> a very high percentage. 90%, right? 90%, 90%, okay. right? So it's kind of like that. I mean, we speak all the time. So we just assume we're okay at it, yeah. right? 
but so few of us have ever been given guidance on how to do it well, right? So few. And the remarkable people that do it incredibly well, right? These folks like Steve Jobs, you know, we're, we look up to them and we say, wow, they're so good. But like, there's not a rubric, right? There's not science. There's not a methodology. There's not a roadmap. And so we just all sort of say, yeah, I'm close to that. I'm not as good, right? I'm not quite Steve Jobs, but I'm also not. Yeah. I don't have a bad example. So, you know, I mean, we've had the pleasure of working with an amazing group of CEOs, global leaders. And I can tell you, some of them don't have the skills, right? And it's not because they don't have the capacity. It's because they've never been taught them. They've never been, they never had the mirror held up to them to say, here's really how you're doing and how you can get better. Okay. And, you know, so much of what we've learned is, is A, how to do that really well. And then B, this is really important, how to do it in a disarming manner, not to make you feel bad about yourself because you've never been told this before. So if I said, hey, hey, Chris, you're a terrible driver, right? Like every time you break my head. What are you talking about? I've been driving for years. That's what you're going to say, right? But then all of a sudden you're like, wow, you might have been right. So it, it's that parallel of like, how do I give you feedback in a disarming, human, connective way, but really I'm here to help you? And I can help you, and I and then I can immediately show you the impact that that's going to have. Well, that I, I I love that you highlight that point because that was actually going to be one of the things that I jumped into on this is that so often we talked about this is that really the goal of getting better is you have to look in the mirror, you have to be able to look in the mirror and objectively see what's there, and that's not always a fun exercise. That's not always a fun exercise to do it to say especially something that you think you're pretty good at. There's nothing worse than thinking you're pretty good and then looking in the mirror and going, yikes, I'm actually not that good at this at all. And so that disarming feature or that capability to say, but that's okay. This isn't a judgment of you. This isn't a, oh, well, now we're stamping you. You are this way. No, this is where you are so that we can get you to here. And this is the journey that we're going to take you on. Yep. Now, I have to imagine, and this kind of goes into some of the challenges or things that I'm sure you have to work with people on, the, the technology can do that to a degree, but there's also some change management and communication that has to happen from the organization. Because if you have a culture that your employees are already a little like, mm, I don't necessarily trust this, that that's going to be a bit of a barrier that you have to overcome to help people know, no, this is designed to help you. This is not designed to critique and and push you down, but to actually build you up. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky. Uh, one, of the, one of the folks that I've met along my journey is, is a guy named Mark Newman. Mark started HireVue. And uh, one of the great pieces of advice he gave me early on was you've got to decide what, as an organization, what is your DNA? Are you an assessment platform or are you a development platform? He's like, just pick. Because if you don't pick and it's not clear, then you know people aren't going to know. Are you here to just like purely assess and judge and evaluate, potentially monitor, or are you here to help us, right? Sure. And you know we Mark and I went back and forth quite a bit about you know what's better, what are the long term advantages in business models, and what's the you know software capabilities that you have to have to hit both marks. And we are clearly in the development category, so we we are not just a measurement monitoring company. We really want to help people get better, and we know we can change your behavior if you're willing to go on the journey with us and your organization supports that and doesn't expect us just to magically perform this without any input. Wait, you mean you don't just turn it on and that's it? I thought, <laughs> I thought that was it. 
No, what the heck? I thought that was the whole thing here. Okay, all right. Well, no, but to, to your point, I think that's there's more to it to just really think through. But I think it's interesting you bring that up, that intentional distinction between, because there are organizations, there are platforms, that they're an assessment platform. It's essentially sure. designed to say, we need to know where people are so we can make a decision, right? We need yeah. to make a decision, and so we need an assessment of this. And then there's the category of, well, we need an assessment, yes, but the intent of the assessment is to grow a plan for development to bring people and move them along the continuum. So you fall in the ladder. We uh, do, and you know, it's it's a challenge, right? Because if you think about the the, the people, the, the L&D leaders, right? A lot of times they truly want ongoing assessment. The users desperately want development, right? So if, I, if you're a user on our platform and all I do is assess you and I kind of don't even tell you how you did, Right, that's a pretty frustrating experience. Uh, and so we, we're very intentional about we are here to help. We're here to improve people's behavior. We want to create those outcomes for the, for the, you know, the leaders, the L&D leaders, but we really want to support the users along their journey. What's interesting about that, that you bring that up in terms of the, and I, and I think this is an opportunity, is that the assessment piece without the feedback and the development, whether you're talking about communications or anything in general, it really does fall apart when you miss that step. And it actually also creates, to me, that's one of the biggest things that creates some of the skepticism from your end users around, well, what, what are you doing with this? You, you had me do this assessment. Totally. Like for what? What, what? Now you have this detail. What are you doing behind the scenes that I don't know about? And the, pro the reality is when people don't know, <laughs> they don't assume the best. At least that's not my experience. When people don't know, they're not like, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure they're planning wonderful things with all this information. So I think that is an important component that you then integrate in so that people understand what they're doing. I think sometimes we're afraid to tell people because we're afraid of how they'll respond or react. Yeah. It's like people are adults. They want to know. They care about their development as long as they know that it's done well and it's done with their best interest in mind. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there, but you know, essentially it comes down to one word, which is trust. Trust. Right? Do I trust that my organization is doing this to support me instead of evaluate me? And also, do I trust this platform that they're doing it as, you know, as intelligently and fairly and without bias, and they're trying to be as transparent as possible about the evolution and, and frankly, the gaps in our capabilities of doing this. Yeah. And if we can generate that trust on all sides, then, then you know, we're, we're doing something right. And I think that's where in, in my years of doing this, that's been one of the things that I've found is just as important and equally the responsibility and accountability falls on me and my team to say, how are we making sure that that's happening? Because if it doesn't, you'll see this. You'll see organizations not do that. Then the tech doesn't meet its mark. Well, and that then the tech gets blamed. Oh, see, the platform didn't work. And the reality is, you, you never had a fair shot. It never had a chance to be successful in that. So I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm curious just your take. You've got all this data. You're clearly a quantitative person. So I'm sure you're going to have an answer for this. But I am really curious because I have seen back and forth debates on this of, oh, communication is changing. with yep. Everything's changing. And I'm curious what the data says about that because my perception has been, are there, is the execution of things changing? Are some of the activities changing? Yes. 
But at the core, there really still is a lot of common ground that is holding true, just being played out in different ways. So I'm curious, what does the data show on this in terms of, all right, we're now in this more digital age. Has communication dramatically changed? That's a hard question. <laughs> you know, thanks, thanks. Um, <laughs> here's where I'll start. The goal is the same, right? Our goal, our goal as people is human connection, right? I am, every day I wake up and I'm looking for great human connection from my family, from my friends, from my, you know, coworkers, you know, from anyone I meet, right? If I go get a coffee, I'm looking for a good human connection from the person who's checking out. So it's like the goal is still the same. Now the mediums are really different, right? Yep. So if I think about that coffee experience, I used to go to the same coffee shop and you know know the person behind the counter's name and catch up with them. And now I'm you know loading up an app and you know um, when I walk in, the coffee's already there. And so you know it's different, right? So the the mediums of interaction are very different, but the goal and the outcome of a successful or winning interaction is actually still the same. Okay. So the interesting question then becomes what behaviors, what inputs into a conversation or a piece of communication create the appropriate outcome when the channel is so different. So if I'm, you know, what we saw interestingly, right, if we look at like the same person doing a Zoom meeting versus an in-person meeting, right, what is the difference in their effectiveness in their behavior? Uh, really interestingly, people are terrible at eye contact with a camera, right? It's not fun to stare at your camera we're actually much better at using our voice digitally than we are in person because we're so used to talking on a phone all the time. And so people use way more vocal features, better vocal interactions digitally than they do in person. And we're just learning this stuff, right? As the channels evolve and as we measure so many people's behavior and then look at what makes it effective, there are definitely differences in trends. Obviously the adoption of technology is changing things very rapidly, as well as unfortunately a shortening attention span for all of us because we're just overwhelmed with these inputs of information. Okay. So it's interesting you bring that up because again, I've, so I tend to be more a, you know, I love to see the data behind it, but I also just love to kind of observe experiences that people have. And then to your point, dig beneath that because it has been really interesting back before COVID was even a thing. I always was a big advocate that you can build human connection. You can build relationships in the digital age. There are ways that you can do this. And I think until 2020, there were a lot of people that just went, no, you can't. It's, it's just, you just can't. And yes, if you're trying to do, and this is where I'm going to go with this in terms of how, how you're thinking about, if you're trying to do the same thing you were doing in the one medium and you've literally just moved it over to a different medium, then yes, absolutely 100%, you are going to fail pretty much every time. So to your example, if you're trying to run a Zoom meeting the exact same way you ran the meeting when you were in the office, in the conference room, everyone is gonna say, I hate Zoom meetings, this wasn't effective, I feel like I didn't get as much done or it didn't have the same impact that it did when we were in person. Then don't get me started on the nostalgia effect that kicks in and people start yeah. longing for the very things that they've hated and talked about hating for years and years and years. But if you actually decrypt that and say, what was it about that experience that really created that connection or drove this impact or got us to this point? Let's actually study what that was. And then let's break that thing down 
and say, well, how can we then translate that into this different world? Then the answer is you can, which is what you're talking about with a communication piece is you're, you're doing it differently. This is, this is a completely different approach to what most people would be comfortable with. Yeah. We did a, uh, we did a big survey with HBR. Uh, 86% of people said they're satisfied with their communication right now via video conference. Wow. And 70% think they're going to use it the same amount or more once we're allowed back in the office. Okay. So it's, it's changing, right? And we're all getting used to these changes. And a lot of these changes remarkably are advantageous to us, right? Introverts are so much happier talking in front of their computer in the comfort of their home than they are in a big office meeting room, conference room. They're not going to speak up. And so they feel, you know, the communication, if you, you look, people feel way more included. Uh, now there's challenges, right? I mean, becoming more me memorability is hard. Attention span is hard. You know, it's pretty easy for me to click on another tab and just start going somewhere else in my head. Uh, but generally these trends are here to stay because they've been pretty cemented and there are significant advantages to a lot of them. Okay. Well, and I, and I think that's, this, this, we won't go into this debate, but this is where you start to hear the whole, well, what does this mean for the future? You know, are, is everybody going to go back? Are they not? The reality is I think everybody's going to have more opportunity to do what works best for them, be the best version of you. I think the part that's interesting about digital communications, and I'm curious your take on this, is that what I saw with communications when 2020 hit was the assumption that you said where everybody, 90% of people probably think they're great communicators. That got put to the test in 2020 because everybody thought they were really great at communicating. Oh, I'm really good at talking with my team. I'm really great at doing this. I'm really great at articulating. Or suddenly you had to do it differently. And I feel like everybody got the opportunity to look in the mirror really fast and went, <gasps> But nobody really wanted to think that, hey, you know what? Maybe this is, I wasn't actually as good of a communicator as yeah. I thought. And now I'm realizing that because when I'm having to apply this in different areas, I have no idea how to do it. And all my flaws just got the volume turned up to 11. If I was really bad at this, it's really bad now because of all these other factors. Yeah, well, I mean... You know, these web platforms literally are a mirror. I am looking at myself right now. Right? <laughs> you know, in a meeting, I'm not. And and it's hard to look at yourself. I mean, it's it's really interesting if you ask people when you talk to your to your webcam, are do you look at the video of yourself or do you look at the video of the person you're speaking with? And most people actually admit they look at themselves. <laughs> so you're literally talking to a mirror, which is a huge fear that people have. So yeah. no wonder it's so hard and and frankly. So sort of self-confronting as an experience. Okay. So I'm curious, have you seen, because the one thing that I've found with this is that communicating well in the digital age just requires, I think, more intentionality to what you're doing. You just have to be more thoughtful, intentional about, okay, I, I, I used to just bump into people and I assumed that we were communicating because I bumped into them. Now that's not going to happen. So I'm going to need to force myself to put those little things in place, or I used to be able to read people a little bit better. So now I'm just going to have to be a little more careful and thoughtful of the way I present things to make sure or ask for feedback when before I could read if people weren't getting it, things like that. But I'm curious, have you seen now from a data standpoint, is this actually in some regards helping just organically grow communication skills in that people are realizing that maybe they weren't that great of communicators, Maybe they're just naturally starting to build some. Granted, there's still a need to grow it, but I'm just curious what you're seeing. 
So I think we all realize it's a challenge, and I think the challenge yeah. has been complicated by the introduction and, and frankly, you know, proliferation of a new medium, right? All of a sudden, my effectiveness in video conference went from a skill that's, you know, a bit of a nice to have to definitely a must have. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so that that's a challenge, right? Um, so what are the solutions to that challenge, right? I mean, it, you know, I, it's a digital channel. So I think what's fun for us and what's exciting for us as a business is people are much more willing to adopt digital solutions to a digital problem. Uh, and that's really where, where we've spent it's a lot of time. Up, yeah, I guess I can see that. It's opened up the people are now comfortable because, well, before I was more comfortable with the whole in-person thing. So a digital solution felt very counterintuitive to what I was used to versus well, we're doing all this digital stuff. It can't hurt to do something digital as well. Yeah. Now there are there's one huge complication to that, right? And I won't get too deep into the social science and communication science, but 67% of our interaction is nonverbal, right? So hand signals, the way that you're standing, and you know these cameras cut off half of our bodies, and typically people don't even show their hands in the frame. And a huge part of the way that you and I are connecting right now, especially on a subconscious level, is happening, you know, nonverbally, and we're missing those signals. And so my my ex, if I offer a second prediction, we are going to be having full body cameras, much more kind of back frame stuff. You're going to have to start putting on jeans. But because the interaction, unless we go a really crazy direction, which some tech companies are working on, which is avatars, right? We, we are missing some of the fundamental components of human interaction in the nonverbal manner. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I've actually, what's funny, I don't I, I will be interested to see that prediction play out because I've actually toyed with the idea of, you know, could I set up some sort of camera system since I'm on live stuff so much and just on webcam so that I could walk around the room and things like that versus sit in the chair. But there's not a lot of solutions out there that actually allow you to do that very well. So I know, I know an incredible professor at, at Harvard Business School named Ethan Bernstein who literally did that. He literally set up a virtual Zoom environment where he can put his entire class up. He sort of replicated the classroom and he can stand up, he can move around. He has multiple cameras that like intelligently capture him. Uh, Make him look like he's on a movie studio, okay. A wonderful experience to watch because you get to feel so much more of his physical presence, which is the part that is generally missing for us in some of these, you know, kind of seated facial framed interactions. Yeah. Well, and I think there's the other component of it, which is, and I think this is something that in learning and development, we've also had to do, which I've actually seen some interesting developments in um, the development of kind of listening, which people are still a little weird about it. The idea of Alexa hearing what you're doing and all this and what's going on. But I've actually explored and experimented with some interesting solutions that listen to the dynamics of conversations and then actually provided feedback to people on you talk too much. Yeah. Things like that, like you you talk too much. You don't let other people, you never ask questions. Things like that to help people understand that part of communication is listening. That's yeah. the thing that's a little bit ironic is so often people think communication is running your mouth the whole time. And it's like, no, actually it's not. Yeah. And we, we do all that stuff, by the way. Uh, we do all those interaction signals and we do listening and you know, the biggest thing about listening is it, it's not listening so you know what to say next. It's actually listening to <laughs> understand and, and really say, what is Christopher trying to share with me? What is this person, what, is, what does this person want me to understand as opposed to how can I effectively respond 
when it's my turn to speak again. Okay. Not just waiting for them to finish theirs. So it's actually to some degree, you could say, if you're looking at that holistic picture, in many regards, it's helping grow empathy as a skill in some regards to be able to start to say, I'm communicating, but I'm communicating with purpose and intent to understand, to have a better perspective on things versus just, I am now a better communicator at convincing you to do what I want you yeah. to do or to tell you the message that I have, which I think is important for leadership skills. Absolutely. Right. We're all searching for connection. It goes right back to the, if you make an effective connection, it's an effective conversation. And the way to do that is to actually listen instead of just talk the whole time. <laughs> contrary, contrary to <laughs> belief. Okay. So then, so then let's talk. I want to go into the AI piece a little bit about this because this is an area, you know, you talk about the fact you're using AI to do this, which to me, I look at, I look at digital tools. I look at technology. I get excited about it because it allows us to do some of this stuff at scale and speed that was just not possible and add a level of objectivity to it that you yep. didn't have on the other end. Not everybody's on board with that. Some people are still struggling with this whole, I don't know that I really trust a machine to assess communicate such a human skill. That's such a human skill. And you're asking a machine to assess this human skill. How, how one, how do you kind of combat that? But two, then how does that actually work and how are you using AI to actually create a superior experience versus a you know inferior or more threatening one. Yeah, it's uh so it's taken us you know we've been working on this for nine years so it, it's not an easy answer, uh, but it all starts with one thing which is, uh, you're right the evaluation of effective communication is a human question, right and so it all starts with our ability to ask that question really well was this person effective was this speaker effective did you trust them. Do you believe in them? Do you find them to be credible and confident? And so what we started with was we started asking thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of audiences members that question when we put conversations in front of them, right? And we do it, you know, we tag everything demographically. We're doing it on Likert scales. We're doing it with the, you know, modern scientific statistical methods. And what we built was an under a database, right? A database of human reactions. And yeah. With that, that's a level of intelligence that allows us to then build algorithms against those human reactions. So you start with you know, the, exactly what you're saying, which is you're right. Humans are the best people at judging whether or not the person is effective because it's a human question, a human answer. Yeah. On the other side of that though, then you say, okay, well, if I have that outcome, can I start predicting that outcome based upon certain things? And that's really where the AI and the machine learning comes in, which is, okay, if everyone who's trusted does these three things, and I can look at the three things that they do, then I can unlock that knowledge for people. Now, most likely one or two of those things are probably pretty intuitive, but always when it comes to data, there's a surprise somewhere. And if you can research validate that surprise and I can bring something new, then I can start creating remarkable ways to change people's behavior that have never been introduced before because we've discovered them with the technology. Interesting. So, so well, and we we talked a little bit about this before we went live because what you're what you're getting at, and I'll just kind of decrypt this a little bit further, is the fact that while yes, identifying those components is instinctively human, and so humans need to be in the loop on that, 
the ability to look at massive amounts of data and categorize and look for the patterns in that is something that just cannot be done by a human because there's just no way yeah. that you could you could objectively look at that amount of data in your lifetime to actually be able to say hey wait a minute did you catch did you see this pattern so there's still a person involved it's not it's not just throwing this over to the machine and saying here, good luck, and we'll just take whatever you come back with. It's saying, well, let's use humans to identify what are those core capabilities. Let's capture loads of data on people to build the database. Let's use the technology to look for the patterns and start to say what you what you said. People who people trust, what is it about them? And let yeah. the machines look through all this data, find those things, and then use humans again to say, okay, now what do we do with that? You got it, right? And, and let me give you an example, right? So the number one factor for trust is how much message ownership you take, right? So message ownership is best evaluated by what pronouns you use. And if I look at the ratio of third person to first person pronouns when you speak, that is highly indicative of whether or not I or an audience is going to trust you when you speak, okay? Now, if I'm listening to you speak and all I'm doing is counting your pronouns, then that's not a very fun conversation for either of us. Right. For team, it's a really easy problem, right? You run a transcription, you look at, you know, the ratio, it's not that hard to figure out. Um, you know, there's- Well, 40... chances are, if you're sitting having a conversation and all you're doing is counting the pronouns, <laughs> you're not paying attention to anything else. Exactly. Our ability to multitask on that would be impossible. But if I unlock that for you and I teach you that, and then I can actually reinforce some behavior change there, if it is a problem for you, then all of a sudden I can make you much more trustworthy. And that's where the ability of technology to do this easily in real time and at scale and affordably is unlocks this learning that you know a human person, even a great coach, for them to sit there and count pronouns, that's pretty laborious. Uh, and most coaches don't even know that insight because they've never studied the data and this stuff isn't found in a bunch of you know Dale Carnegie books. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> now, now I just have this picture. Now I just have this picture of an L and D team that has the job title pronoun counter, right? It's, it's this person that just sits sits at a desk somewhere and and is looking at transcriptions, checking off checking off box. Well, you know what Noah said? We and I a lot, and you know it's this number. Here you go, and then hands it off to somebody else who does. You know, you know, it's a terrible job. <laughs> It would, it would let it, let the machines do that and we can we can make your life better. Okay. Okay. So when you look at okay, so then that I think that helps explain how this tech works to be able to do this in a way that is, you know, impactful and quantifiable. I am curious though with this because how has the tech evolved or advanced yeah. recently because this wasn't always super easy or consistent or trustworthy. It, especially when you threw in things like different uh, accents, things like that, that started to really throw things off. So how have you seen the tech advance? Yeah. So, you know, when, when we started the company, right, the, there were human transcriptions, you know, NLP has been around for a while. Some voice stuff has been around for a while. There's nothing on sort of facial and nonverbal analysis. So the evolution that we've seen is transcription has become much higher quality you know, automatic transcription by a machine is, you know, is now as effective as a human transcriber can be done in real time. Uh, natural language processing has become much more accurate. Vocal mapping, you know, thanks to technologies like Alexa, you know, we're, we're getting really good at that. 
And then facial microexpression analysis is becoming remarkably effective for looking at nonverbal signals. So we knew everything we wanted to measure, right? This research, this social science research has been around for so long. Ekman de developed the facial coding system in the 70s. Our ability to actually use technology and pull these behavioral signals out in real time in a video and feed them back to you has made remarkable leaps over the last few years. And that's all based upon foundational great machine learning technology that allows us to process this stuff really effectively and quickly. And that's the biggest change along with one really important thing, which is people's willingness to use technology to assist themselves in their lives, right? So at the same time, the technology is getting faster, better, more accurate, more intuitive, more trustworthy. People's willingness to play and trust algorithms and understand that you can do these things the right way, our willingness to adopt has changed too. Okay. That makes sense. Well, and I like that you hit on both sides of that because it's one thing if the tech gets there. And again, it's I continue to be impressed with how fast and how quickly it's moving. If you even just look at real-time transcriptions, sometimes you're like, holy moly, it's, it's literally creating subtitles for things as I'm talking and it's doing it extremely accurately. So yeah. I think that's exciting stuff. But to your point, if there's still this massive skepticism by people about it and their willingness to trust, hey, if it's giving me this feedback or do I even trust it to give them any of my information to assess, you're not going to be able to build the data sets to actually then put the technology on to actually start to do this. And I think that's where we're just only going to see this stuff get better and better and better as we capture more data, because the more data we have, the more accurate we can yeah. get because we have more data points to compare it to. Well, and here's what's super exciting, right? That obviously in COVID, there's been a fundamental shift in human communication behavior, right? We are now all using these digital platforms all the time. What's fun for us is when you use a digital platform, it's much easier. There's really no intervention for us to capture that video and give you feedback. So instead of asking you to record yourself or instead of asking you to put a camera on in a conference room the next time you're in a meeting, we can just build technology that easily integrates. You wouldn't even know it's there. It can be to your advantage because it can offer you a recording and a transcription. And that is the input. That's all the input we need to coach you on how to be more effective. Okay. Because it's digital, right? So in a human conversation, it's pretty weird if I say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee and I want to record myself so I can push myself to be better. That's Why is this camera crew at Starbucks? <laughs> uh, but but in a Zoom meeting, that's really easy not and not going to be disruptive. Okay. Well, and I was actually going to ask about that because I think, again, one of the things that to me is exciting about this more digital age where people are using more of this tech is these data points are being captured naturally. You hear learning in the flow of work, all this stuff, right? People are throwing those terms around. But I think the opportunity is you actually can now with tech truly not need to disrupt people anymore and say, oh, go to this thing, go record a 15 minute version of you doing this. No, you can then hook it up to where you're going to be actually doing your 15 minute presentation and then just get the feedback after the fact and say, well, you went and did it. Now here's how you did based on that. So it's actually not disrupting your natural flow anymore. No, nope, not at all. And, and you know, I, I, a platform I aspire, you know, Grammarly, right, is, is a remarkable platform to help people become better writers and do it. You know, most people never even log into their site, right? It's just, it's in the flow of your work. It helps you. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. 
and you know that we grammarly for video is is really kind of how we are building our platform okay okay got it so getting to the point where it's just literally listening and assessing what you're doing and giving you feedback ideally right in a perfect world it would get to a point where it's doing it in real time where in a conversation you're getting some of these indicators to let you know hey here's an opportunity well, i'll stop you there do you want it in real time i mean it, when you're when you're in the middle of your you know your team meeting right do you want us telling you hey you need to be more trustworthy and here's how so my answer to that would be i think it comes on a maturity scale all right this is where i would say my answer my answer to that would be yes but i can see for some people or just based on where you are on the community the answer might be no, because you may say that's going to distract me and I'm going to end up have, I'm going to be so focused on these indicators, but I can see as you get more, it's just like, honestly, when you think about zoom communication, the first time you do it, somebody sending you a message in the chat just throws you for a loop. You, you yeah. suddenly stop, you're staring down at it. Then you come back and, and your whole train of thoughts gone after you've done it for a while. Yeah. And you do it all the time. You can glance over to the side and then just think, okay, and now I'm going to throw this in. It's right. Like doing comments on this, being able to see that. So I think that's where the scale could slide and say, maybe no, that that is not training wheels. You would not want to say, Hey, here's your whole dashboard while you're doing your thing. That's going to light up and tell you these things. But I do think as you grew and upped your skills, the ability to at least have some leading indicators or some lighting indicators that say, hey, now again, this gets into that kind of creepy space of, well, are we almost <laughs> feeding people exactly what they need to know before while they're doing it? I mean, again, I think that gets into, you'd have to use that very ethically and, and really put some guardrails behind that to prevent it going off the rails. Absolutely. So that would be my answer to that is, I think it's a yes and. I think it'd have to be done carefully and not just blindly. Yeah. Okay. So I am curious then on this one, you know, with the communication piece, what are some of, this is just more just my curiosity behind this. What are some of these, so we, you break down communication, but what are some of these big, big or little fractional things that you see are surprisingly like, well, we didn't really know that this actually is a super important thing that we might not have known about communication. Are there any ones that jump out that you went over the years of doing this? You've gone, I had no idea. This is amazing. You know, if you, if you really break down the problem, right, there's, there's technical components of my communication and then there's perceptions. So if you think about what makes an effective communicator, step one, stage one is does Noah do technically everything effectively? So he's not, doesn't have some hitch or some distraction or some crutch that's really, frankly, going to be disruptive or annoying. So an example on that would be filler words. Okay. We'll use the word um every three words. And it's not that hard to count filler words and understand what the ideal ratio is. And, and the way that you fix that is by helping retrain people's behavior to take a pause instead of a you know or a so or an um. <laughs> we all have a problem. It is a very human problem. Yeah. It's such a human problem that literally Alexa and Google inserted fillers into their their home devices to make them sound more human interesting but you know once you start using more than about five a minute it does become pretty distracting and you could set people towards counting instead of listening and so <laughs> like the the number one thing that you know generally we want to coach people on if they have the problem and this problem goes all the way up to fortune 10 ceos is we want to help mitigate fillers okay 
you know, when it comes to more perception stuff, the stuff's a lot harder. Uh, it takes a lot more awareness and sort of deliberate effort to fix. Uh, but there are some incredible insights, right? You know, to, to be authentic, try to match what you're saying to your nonverbal expression, right? If you want to be, uh, there's one of the interesting things that we found is there's a pretty significant gender difference in confidence. And a lot of that has to do with women tend to use a lot more hedging language than men do. And so if we can help women, women become more aware of that, we can help them, you know, sit equally on a confidence level to men. Okay. One of the other interesting things, the last one I'll share is uh, if I look at one of the differences between leaders and non-leaders, right? If I look at people that make that jump from individual contributor to you know, manager or senior leader, one of the biggest differences in their communication is how much collaborative language they use. And so the more that you make things collective and talk about we and groups and you're relating, the more likely it is that you'll become more senior in your career. Okay. Interesting. Interesting insights on that. And I have to imagine some of this stuff probably as, as part of the growth and development of some of these people, it has to lead to some real internal change and in mindset shifts that the, you go through. Because I, I have to, just even listening to some of the things you talk about, some of those challenges would be if you on the inside aren't actually thinking this way or don't actually feel this way and you're trying to communicate something that is vastly different and the authenticity is just faked authenticity, people can read it like oh, a book. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. can read it like a book. So, so that's almost this. We can coach you on how to communicate differently, but at the core, if you're still going against the grain of what you're trying to communicate – that's going to be pushing a rock uphill. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's one of the most fun things about what we do is we all know what good looks like, right? An effective, fun conversation or meeting is such a great experience for all of us. We know it can feel really good. Now, the drivers, the behavioral drivers of that good is what the mystery is. And that's really what we're trying to unlock for people. But the good is pretty obvious. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let's... I feel like there's a few other things that I just want to dive into, but I know if I start diving into them, we we're we're gonna go we're gonna go way over on time, and I, I don't want to do that for your schedule and everybody else's. So maybe we'll have to have a follow up conversation because this is fascinating in terms of this piece. But I think one of the things that you hit on that is an important piece, and I think you would advocate for this as well, is that this this tool this tech. This capability, this coaching, it's an enabler, but it is not as simple as, okay, we're just going to do this, turn it on, and magically our organization is suddenly going to be at the top of the food chain as it relates to communication skills. There's, there's other components and even just some of the individual's willingness to engage and participate in this and be willing to learn and be vulnerable and say, you know what, maybe I'm not that great of a communicator, but... I want to get better at it. And so I'm going to use this as a catalyst for my personal development. Is that fair? It is, you know, if, if people want to grow and they want feedback, you know, that's sort of step one. Uh, and step two, you know, you're right. With any piece of technology, no matter how effective and in the flow of work and digital it is, there's still an amount of sort of intentional setup and execution that has to happen. Uh, you know, my my job and the job of my you know product team is to make that as easy as possible on people, but it doesn't just happen magically. No. Uh, you know, there's there's a great fast company article that I'll I'll include in the notes called No Pain, No Brain Gain. Uh, 
and you know it does like learning takes work right yeah. and the, the best teachers that you've ever had you, you when you think about who really changed your life it wasn't the one that just gave you an a and you didn't have to do anything no they didn't um, just pat you on the back and said sounds good here's your a get out of the room and that's hard you know because a lot of I, I feel for a lot of learning leaders in that because a lot of the evaluation is you know did i enjoy this was it fun right but behavior change generally takes a little bit of work uh, we try to make that work as fun as possible and as easy as possible, but it does. All of this stuff takes a little bit of intentional effort, and it's not just a magic button you hit. No. And the exciting thing, the exciting thing about that, and I, I, I have to hit on this, that is one of the things that I think we can get really excited about with, with this technology, with other types of technology, is having that data to show you've driven behavior change is a game changer as a learning leader. Because... I understand why we've had to rely on people liked it or they felt good about it yeah. because what else did we have to say? So we didn't really have anything to say. Being able to embrace this allows you to go into a conversation where you may say they all hated it. They didn't like, they didn't like it, but guess what? They came out of there a better communicator than they were before. Now, granted, hopefully you find that middle ground so that it's not they hated it, but they did this. It's a yes and. But the reality is that is a different conversation when you can say, and we changed behavior and here's the data to prove it. Here's what we're doing to actually grow that. And to me, that is one of the most exciting parts about where things are going now is we can actually have a quantifiable, see, there you go, I'm throwing it in there, quantifiable conversation about things that historically have either been impossible or very, very, very difficult and resource intensive to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Uh, this, this was fun. Hopefully everybody who's watching got something out of it. Um, I will actually get a transcription of this one as well. Uh, and we'll be able to do that so other people can take a look at it. Um, but thank you so much for the time. Thanks everybody for being here. This has been an awesome conversation and we will see you next week. Thank you so much, Noah. Appreciate it. Thank you.